You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today, we are celebrating a milestone, most specifically, 100 episodes of Speaking to Influence. I am so excited to be here today and to thank all of you for joining me, whether you just joined me today for our very first conversation or if you've been with me from two years ago when we first launched Speaking to Influence, it's been such an amazing journey for me. And I hope for you it is, and for both of us, for all of us, moving forward as well. So today, in celebration of this milestone, 100 episodes of Speaking to Influence, I have a panel. And I've specifically cultivated this little garden of genius that you're going to hear about today and the fun conversation we're going to hear. Guests who have been with me from the very beginning, from our original launch, guests from the midpoint, from year two, and guests upcoming, people who you have not yet heard from. So there's some new voices mixed in with the fray. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, not keep you in suspense any longer, but my first guest today is Michael Houlihan. And Michael was the founder of Barefoot Wines, a household name in wine. He's a serial entrepreneur and a New York Times bestselling author of the book, the Barefoot Spirit, as well as a co-founder of the new Business Audio Theater, where he's the producer of one of the top five business audiobooks of 2020, according to the Worldwide Audiobook Publishers Association. Michael, welcome to the show again. It's great to be back with you, Laura. Thank you. Now, aside from all of your accolades professionally, a little known fact about you, if I understand correctly, is that, and correct me if I heard this wrong, you have two hiking cats. Is that correct? That's right. When we walk down the trail, people say, wow, I never thought I'd see a hiking cat. How do you keep them from running away? And we say, they're hard to shake. <laughs> As if you wouldn't want them to come home. But they, look at that. You don't even need them on a leash. The dogs can hunt. The cats will hike. Who knew? You've got them quite well trained. My second guest today is Janet Salazar, and Janet was with us from uh, right around the beginning of season two, and she is the president and chairman of the Foundation for the Support of the United Nations, and she is also the CEO of Impact Leadership 21. She's a serial entrepreneur, a writer, and a humanitarian. Janet, welcome to the show once again. Thank you, Laura. I'm so happy to be here. It's really a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, and congratulations on your 100th episode. Thank you. Thank you. Could not have done it without both of you. And a little known fact, and Janet, this one goes right to my, I would say to my heart, but more to my stomach. A little known fact <laughs> about you is that if I understand your preferences, in your world, no weekend is complete without a big stack of pancakes for brunch. <laughs> correct? Yes, that's really correct. And yeah, for some reason, you know, it's just for me, my weekend is not complete at all without a big stack of pancakes for brunch. So I've spent a lot of time hunting 
for that perfect place with the perfect pancakes for brunch, you know, lower New York from Brooklyn to Queens to Manhattan, lower East side, upper East side, name it. So it's been fun, but yeah, for some reason, it just makes me very happy to have, if you can get that with a perfect cup of coffee. I will be there exactly. with you. That sounds yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, thank you thank for sharing you. that. That's a lot of fun. And my third guest today, someone you have not heard from with me here on the show yet, is Diana Youssef. And Diana is the founder and CEO of Change Water Labs, a clean technology company that creates safe, sustainable access to clean water and sanitation around the world. Diana, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So this is going to be really exciting, and I can't wait for you to share more about your technology and what you're doing to create clean water in places where otherwise sanitation is one of the biggest challenges for those communities. But before we get there, what's a little known fact about you? So I would say when I was a new mom, I think I didn't have that like new mom memo where you're supposed to be sort of hunkered down with a a small child. So I (laughs) remember when I first had my first daughter, I was taking her to happy hour. I was... (laughs) We were going to, you know, I mean, my social life didn't slow down when I had the baby. So I think once I had the second one, that's when I was like, oh, I get it now. (laughs) But the first one, I didn't really, you know, I didn't figure that one out immediately. There was not going to be an exchange of social life and the fun person that you were to be the the hermit of a new mom. No, not yet. (laughs) So I'm impressed that you figured out how to do that. When my son was born, I just thought, nope, I'm done. Okay. Social life. I, God willing, you come back to me, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. I'm impressed you managed to do both. All right. So come back now to, for everybody, I'd like them to know a little bit more about each of your professional realms. So as I like to start, every episode. Help us understand your elevator pitches. Michael, what's your 30-second or 60-second elevator pitch? Well, what I do is I try to help companies tell their story in a new way. We use an audio platform. So it's like a 1945 radio show with actors and actresses and sound effects and music. So it's 3D audio. It's a kind of a cinemagraphic experience for your ears. And so you're listening to the story of the founder and you find yourself identifying with the founder and the challenges they have to overcome. You also find yourself understanding the founder's purposes and values, which are really important. And why? Because the biggest challenge today is to retain people. We've had one third of the workforce quit since January. This is the great resignation this year. So how is it that you're going to hold on to people in the future? They've had a couple of years with COVID to think about, where am I working? Where are they going? What do they stand for? Besides the mercantile value of their product. So this is what we're doing with Barefoot Audio Theater. That's amazing. Amazing. We're going to share a link at the end to everybody else out there. Michael is is generously offering everybody a free chapter of the book, The Barefoot Spirit, in business audio theater format so that people can, so you can really hear what it's like. And it is absolutely amazing Hollywood quality acting and sound effects and all that kind of stuff. So it's not just an audio book. You want to have just an audio book? Buy mine. That's a great contrast. Great content in both, but a very, very different experience. Absolutely catch uh, that free chapter that Michael is generously offering to everybody. Uh, So thank you for that, Michael. You're welcome. Janet, tell us your 30-second elevator pitch. Thank you, Laura. Well, I am an alpha whisperer. So simply Mm. what that means is that I help my fellow alphas or fellow leaders channel 
money, influence, and power to purpose. Mm. So whatever I do, whether in business and my humanitarian work with the UN, through our foundation, I've always tried my very best to operate from that very deep conviction uh, inside of me and that profound sense of responsibility to really bring about positive change for mankind. And where I am right now, the network that I'm a part of is that top leadership. So I feel I have a responsibility to make the change happen within that network. And that's what I do. I like that. The alpha whisperer. That sounds very kind of powerful and clandestine all at the same time. And after we're going to learn more about those whisperings and what they entail later. Very exciting. Diana, tell us your elevator pitch for Change Water Labs. Yeah. So around the world, half of all people lack access to a safe, clean toilet because they live in places where they can't flush because there's no sewage plumbing. So Change Water Labs has decided that we're going to tackle the problem of access to a safe, clean toilet by creating a toilet that gets rid of waste without flushing. So for places where people can't flush, we've invented a waste shrinking toilet called the iThrone that essentially takes waste and turns it into clean water vapor by evaporating it using a new material that we've invented that we call shrink wrap for crap. (laughs) And so... And using this technology and with the iThrone, we're hoping to get safe, clean sanitation to places where people have no plumbing and no power. Okay. So anybody who has heard some of my commentary in the past on the presidential debates of various years, et cetera, knows that I like to talk about the value of having tweetable and repeatable sound bites, getting your message down into something that's (laughs) super short, super catchy, easy to remember, easy to say, shrink wrap for crap. I think that's that may be the official kickoff right there for the that's more batting than kickoff. Okay, I'm mixing sports metaphors like crazy today. But to kick off our next hundred episodes, shrink wrap for crap. There's our first tweetable and repeatable soundbite, everybody. You win, Diana. We haven't even started playing yet. <laughs> when we get a chance, I'll tell you the story how I came up with it because it, it was quite a moment in my life. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we will, we're going to see where we get at the end of today and we're going to find out where that phrase came from. But it was a little stroke of genius or a little rap of genius or something along those lines. So great. From here then, let me ask each of you, Janet, I'll start with you. What is the change? So you're doing all these things around the world. What's the change that you're trying to make in the world? All of you are global leaders and you each want to have your individual impact. What's the change you're trying to make? Again, Laura, it's all about channeling influence, money, and power to purpose, right? So put simply, you know, change really has to happen from the top, from leadership. This has always been my ethos, the core of every call to action I put out there. And so that is also the reason for the birth of the Alpha Whisperers, which is the latest platform we're developing, starting with my book, The Alpha Whisperers. And pretty much using this influential voice. It's the power behind the power, the voice behind the voice. That's the most important thing, right? How all this power and influential behind translate to the entire society in general. I mean, you can identify if you are an advisor to the president, for example, right? Or if you are an advisor even to a CEO or a business owner, what you tell the CEO, which is the leader or the alpha, matters so much. You know, it can break or make the company. It can fire or keep people, for example, right? It can start a war, you know, like we're having right now in Ukraine, et cetera. So 
yeah, that's the change I want to see is coming from the top leadership influence that, you know, we have a responsibility as alphas and leaders to do the right thing. And many times that very critical decision, for example, to go into war or occupy another country doesn't necessarily have to be coming from just the one person or what that president what we don't realize is there are a group of advisors a group of whisperers behind mm. that alpha that more often than not than that are responsible for that particular action are responsible for that particular decree or law that's going to be implemented across the land for example sure. so in order to do this then what's the one thing you need people to understand the one thing that people need to understand is that there is a great responsibility and accountability from choosing people who are going to lead your country, but most importantly, to be advising the leaders of your country, the leader of your company. So if you are a voter, for example, right, you elect people, it's very important that when you are electing a particular person to lead the government, you also have to take into consideration who are going to be the people that are going to be part of this leader, because yeah. those are going to be the same people who will be influencing the decision of this leader. And that's exactly the same when it comes to companies too. Exactly. Who's going to lead the company and who are they bringing with them? The board of advisors, et cetera, yes. right? The stakeholders pretty much. Yes. So yeah, that's very important. And that is exactly the change that I am leading to make in this world right now. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. for. We all thank you around the world for, for trying to make sure that people with ethics and vision and all that come to the top. Michael, tell us about yours. What is the one change that you're trying to make in the world? And what's the one thing you need people to understand in order to help you do that? Well, the one change I'm trying to make in the world is to get people who want to make a difference to find the companies that they can work for that are making a difference. So to connect those two people, because if you have a person that comes to work for you who already knows your story and identifies with your purpose and your passion and your values, they're a much better employee because they're going to be on your team. As Janet says, they're going to be influencers. And that's what you want. You want people who can identify. How is it that they identify? Well, we are using the medium of theater. We're saying it's easier for people to identify through a story than it is through a lecture. Because a lecture is top down. It's very prescriptive. It's text. Here's the three things you got to do, the five things to never do, the three things your customer wants from you. You're sound asleep at number two. Mm. But if you hear the story of how they start the company in the laundry room and they don't have enough money and they're worried about their top salesperson leaving or they're worried about their number one customer discontinuing their product, then you can identify because these are human frailties and foibles that they're going through and fears. Mm. So that's what we're trying to do Yes, is we're trying to put these people together. The second thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to convince the people who are controlling the purse in these companies that this is a wise investment. Mm. Sure. Because it's not cheap to make one of these productions. Sure. It's not just a narrator or an author reading the story. So we've got 
sound effects, we've got studios, we've got music writers, and the whole thing is put together with special writers who are investigative reporters and fact checkers and everything else. So it's quite a production. It takes about six months to do one. So our challenge is to convince them that they are going to benefit from this. Now, in the past, we were trying to tell them how much money they would make they weren't going for that. What they seem to be acceptable to is how much money they will save. Yes. Because turnover is killing these companies today. Yes. If you lose one third of your employees, you're losing a third of your training and a third of your relationship building. Sure. So companies are successful, not just because of their policies and procedures, but because of the relationships they have with other companies and government entities, because that's how the red tape gets waved. That's how the rubber band gets stretched. That's how people overcome problems. They say, well, I know it's you, Janet. It's okay. We'll worry about that next time because we have a relationship. So why lose that? So really the value of the relationship is a primary motivation for putting together these audio theater books. Exactly. And our big challenge is to convince them that that's true. So yes. Great. Thank you. And Diana, I think it's pretty clear that a major change you're trying to make in the world. What's the one thing you need people to understand for you to be able to achieve that goal? When I was listening to the question, I think the big thing that was always the problem for me, especially while we were trying to get resources to even make my idea become a reality, is you have to get people who have resources and don't experience this problem of not having access to a clean toilet to care about people on the other side of the world who do have this problem. And I remember when I used to do my pitch decks, I mean, I would oftentimes start off with the story of a Syrian girl in a refugee camp and sort of all the dangers that she faced by not having a toilet in her home. So people know, you know, it's not just the fact that it's an inconvenience to not have a toilet. I mean, one of the big motivators for why I and my co-founder went after this problem is the gender issue, Mm. because actually in places where women and girls don't have access to clean toilets in their home they face daily susceptibility to rape and sexual assault Mm. because they have to basically go expose themselves in public to do their most basic function. But when you're talking to people who have the resources, these are people, you know, let's put a stereotype on it. These are people who live in Silicon Valley and don't know any Syrian girl refugees living in a camp. Right. So how do you get them to care? So that was always the challenge to try to get people to care in like 30 seconds about a problem that they don't know anything about. And the people who experience that problem don't look anything like them, don't run in their circles. So that was kind of a skill that I had to develop over the years. And I got to the point where I was, I think, pretty good at it. But, you know, you just have to know your audience and what's going to get their attention in those first 15 seconds. And then how do you spend another 30 seconds to explain the problem, why it exists and why what you're proposing to do to solve it is really the key solution? What I would be curious to know is for each of you, and feel free to go in in any order, that what's something that you have learned as far as when you're trying to get through to these audiences who are just they don't seem to get it either. They don't understand why this would be a value or they can't relate to the problem. Give us a real specific example of something where you've come to realize 
I needed to tell them X or I needed to illustrate or to show them or when I approached it this way, then there was the light bulb moment. Then they went, oh, we get it now. What's an example of where you had that click when you finally made a messaging shift? I had one and it was oddly enough after years of doing this pitch only a a year ago that I figured out to make the shift that I was moving into serious fundraising mode. And I always start the story by talking about the problem of 50% of the world's people can't have access to a safe toilet because they live in places with no plumbing. So they can't flush. And I show a picture of that, which is gross, fascinating and gross at the same time. And you're trying to get people to feel the reality of it without turning away. But then I realized like the next slide has to be what the market opportunity is. There had to be a dollar sign on the next slide. Mm. And, you know, I went out and found that number and it's an $18 billion per year problem. So in 10 seconds, I get any person to listen and say, okay, here's where it touches my human side. But then I, as an investor, also want to care about this because there's a market opportunity there. And so I kind of smush those two things into literally two slides in 10 seconds. And then most of the time, I mean, I haven't encountered anybody who won't go on the rest of the journey with me, but I got to get those two slides in first and put those two facts in front of you. The thing that touches sort of like your humanity. And then the thing that makes you think there's a practical business opportunity there. So putting the the head, the heart and the wallet all together in the first three slides. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Thank you. Michael? I made two mistakes in our new business. The first mistake I made was I thought that we were going to be saving people's legacies, Mm. you know, because nobody can live forever. Many companies get acquired and they kind of lose their spirit after they get acquired. And it's because the founder is no longer there. And we see this with companies that we know because the employees and the second line managers, they want to make everything rudimentary or they want to, in the name of efficiency, they want to standardize things. So it loses its flavor, see? So get back to the founder, find out what the spirit of the company really is. And we thought that that would be a good sales pitch. It wasn't. And it wasn't a good sales pitch because it kind of put the founders on the spot to sort of admit that there was something going on that involved their ego. Interesting. And they didn't want to come out and say, I want to save my legacy because I have a big ego. Interesting. So we dropped that pitch entirely. And we started focusing on things like turnover. And we started thinking about marketing. And of course, with audiobooks, people are saying, well, how much is it going to cost to make this audiobook? And these are not cheap, as I said. And then they want to try to justify it in terms of how many books they sell. And that's when we failed there. So what we changed it to was this is a giveaway. You're going to do this and you're going to give it away. You know, and I'm so sorry if your ad went viral and everybody in the world knows about you now and what a wonderful company you are. Yeah, good problem to have. Yeah. I'm really apologizing that it got out, right? Right. But we had to take a whole different mind shift. And this happens so often with businesses. You think you know how to sell what you're selling, but then when you start getting that pushback, you have to make those adjustments. You have to make those pivots and you get better. You know, as Diana says, you improve your pitch. 
Yes. So yes, that's that's how we improved our pitch. It's so interesting, Michael, that you mentioned that some of these founders, and as you mentioned, it's not an inexpensive endeavor to make these productions six months and however much money it is. So you're not going to small companies. You're going to founders of well-established places that would have this kind of money and resources available to them. And yet they're still concerned about using words like legacy because they're afraid that it would sound ego-driven and that people would reject hearing the story because it's too much that, well, you think you're important, so you need to have a quote-unquote legacy. Because there's so many other leaders, and, and Janet, you know, you can speak as the alpha whisperer to this as well, there are that fear of the imposter syndrome in some ways comes through still and people being very afraid to own their accomplishments in certain lenses for fear that there will be a rejection, that you're too arrogant for saying, look, I achieved this and I'm I shouldn't be embarrassed about it. You know, somebody just a couple of episodes ago, I interviewed Dr. Jim Smith and and Dr. James, you know, he goes, that's his branding. And you know, he asked me when we were chatting, we've been friends for a while. He said, you know, why don't you promote your doctor label more? Why aren't you more the Dr. Laura as part of your... And I thought, I don't know. You know, I am Dr. Laura Sokola. It goes as my introduction and whatnot, but I don't ask people to call me Dr. Laura. Lots of people do, and I'm certainly grateful for it. But And he's like, but you earned it. I said, I know, but I don't know. Maybe it's a woman thing or whatnot. It feels odd to sort of insist or request the title on a regular basis with people who are becoming more well-known connections, friends, et cetera. And uh, he kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, maybe it's a woman thing. Guys, nah, we're good. Nope, I'm the doctor. I earned it. You'll call me Dr. James. You'll call me Dr. This and that. And it's funny that even when you're the head of such a, a much larger corporation that you're hearing a lot of prospective clients afraid of the word legacy, as if you hadn't put your entire life work, money, mission, family, you know, blood, sweat, tears into this thing to not be able to say this company is my legacy and I'm proud of it and I love it that people would reject it under the auspices of assuming that it's just an ego play. No pun intended on the play part for you. So thank you for sharing that. What interesting perspective. Sure. We live and we learn, right? Yes. Yes. So Janet, what about you? When we first started the annual Power of Collaboration hosted at the United Nations, that was nine years ago. And that's an annual event that you're hosting, right? Yeah. So the foundation of the entire curation and design and conversation is around the fact that we need the private sector to collaborate with the UN and with the different bodies and, you know, different NGOs and foundations like us, if we want to move the sustainable development goals forward, or in this case, during that time, it was still called the MDGs, which is the Millennium Development Goals, and or any project, you know, if it's in a scale of a global or even a countrywide scale, you have to have the support of the private sector, you know, to implement these things. That's why our foundations fundraise, you know, and stuff like that. Without money and capital, we can't really move these projects. So yeah. when we were trying to onboard support from different missions, different UN bodies and departments, you know, different ambassadors, and more so fellow foundations who are accredited at the UN, the very first First, most difficult challenge that I have encountered personally, because I'm the one fronting the discussion and pitching this idea, is that it's so hard. They are very sensitive to not to commercialize 
the United Nations, mm. not to commercialize the projects, you know, and the missions are so sensitive about, okay, if we partner with IBM, which is one of our earliest partners, sure. or we partner with Bloomberg, for example, you know, Pfizer, mm -hmm. they don't want to be, are we going to be viewed as capitalists as well? Are we going to be viewed as commercialized and stuff like this? So it was challenging, you know, but when I personally tried to, to borrow from Michael's words, like to shift that approach, right? To present it in such a way that, okay, you know, we're trying to invite the private sector, you know, to inside the United Nations to talk about these projects and ask them to support us because it will benefit us, you know. Collectively, we can move forward with the MDGs once we have funding that's not only coming from the countries, which by then, you know, so many countries have not been paying their dues to the UN. The United States is an example of it, <laughs> you know, and yep. then stuff like this, right? And then, you know, foundations and NGOs were bleeding because they didn't have the money to move forward with all their projects. You know, that time yeah. also, 28, 2009, was, we were just at the end of the crisis, right, that we had that time. So all this, right, so we, we changed a little bit and focused more on the benefits that this will do to the projects. And these are the projects we all want to move forward with and to really make that impact and achieve the so-called goals. So once we did that, then we started to onboard all the stakeholders that we wanted to be part of the first annual Power of Collaboration. Yeah. So now we're going to be on our ninth annual Power of Collaboration. We have all these partners. So it was tough, but we did it. Yes. And having been at one of your Power of Collaborations earlier on, amazing, amazing Thank you, uh, events. Your speakers are incredible. Uh, and the range is nothing like sitting at an event in the United Nations and looking around at this arena full of faces of people who just all want to change the world for the better. It's really inspiring. So I'm excited to hear about who's next and your next event, who's in your lineup. Thank you. Now, let's look in the future. Okay, we've learned some lessons over time. We've gone through a now two-year COVID era and all that sort of fun stuff. And we are, God willing, coming out the other side of that tunnel. We've addressed some words like legacy and whatnot that people in commercialization and things that people don't seem to like. Okay, so how we've overcome those hurdles. What's next? Looking ahead over the course of the next 12 to 24 months, shall we say, what's going to be the next thing that you need to do to, in your messaging, how are you going to get through to the next group of stakeholders, to the next audience, to make the next leap forward? What's something else or someone else you're going to need to get through to get on board with your mission? For us, again, going back to this very influential summit that we do at the UN, I believe that one of the things that I've been talking to the partners most recently is that we want to make it more intimate. We want to make the conversations among the leaders more intimate and more focus in what has happened the past couple of years, you know, of course, the pandemic, and now we have the war in Ukraine and stuff like that. And then the entire evil around refugees issues right now is a big problem that all of us are just, we can't wrap our brains around all that issue yet. So but I got to tell you, Janet, these are not sounding like intimate conversations. These are sounding <laughs> like pretty darn big groups of people we need to bring together. Exactly. Yes. But you see, Laura, when you come to those, no matter how big these people are that you gather and you convene, when you are part of that roundtable discussion, for example, you see the humanity there. We're all human beings. We care for the same things, right? At the end of the day, we care for our families. We care for our own existence and stuff like this. And so it's amazing what you could see when you join these roundtable discussions. 
again, like I said, even at this very high level, it's mind boggling, you know, when you hear them even really talk about their own families and even legacies, Michael, you know, you mentioned that word. True. You know, I just remember what do they want to leave as a legacy as leaders or presidents of their countries to their people? You hear of these things and you realize, you know, this all stems from inside, right? This is all inside, you know, as a human being. So to your point, Laura, you know, yes, we deal with these big issues, refugees and stuff like this, war, famine, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But really, when you get to those circles, you know, intimate conversations, and I mean intimate, it really, really exposes the heart, the human heart of each leader. So it's very, very interesting, exciting, at the same time, revealing these conversations. If I'm hearing you correctly, a big shift in where not necessarily your messaging out to others, but in your facilitation, yes, these large group conversations that are necessary to solve really global crises, it is about the medium and the structure of the conversations insofar as rather than having various representatives get up at a podium and address the auditorium, it's about having roundtables, conference rooms, having people sitting down in five or 10 people and just talking among themselves where everybody's voices get heard. And you realize we're talking about my family, your family, and it's much more micro. Everybody's seen as just a person rather than as a figurehead representing this entity on a map that represents a million pinpoints of that are supposed to be people. It humanizes the conversation. Yes, exactly. You got it right there, Laura. The humanization of the conversation is the major shift that we wanted to achieve right now, you know, starting this uh, September. It's bringing it more like the closest we can bring it to the heart, you know, because that's what where all it starts. And it's similar to what Michael is doing as well, you know, um, with the business owners and stuff, trying to understand that side of all of us. Sounds like a big difference between one person talking at a room full of people versus individuals sitting and talking and listening together. Amongst. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that home. Yeah. Beautiful. Diana, Michael? Well, I want to go back to employees Yes. and retention, and I should even say recruitment. Probably the biggest thing that's going to happen in the next 10 years is the acceleration of climate change. Mm. This is going to affect young families the most because they're going to have children that they know are going to be growing up in an environment that is a survival environment. Mm. So the whole paradigm is going to change. They're going to start to say, why do I want to work for a company that isn't doing something about this, that doesn't have a clean record environmentally, or isn't doing these other things that are important to the life of my child, see, because I don't want my kid coming back to me in 10 years and say, mommy, you knew this was going on. Why didn't you make this a top priority? Why did you work for that company? You could have worked for this company. Yeah, They're making a difference. So what I think the biggest change that we're going to see in the next 10 years is the workforce is going to be not only voting with their dollars, but they're going to vote with their time, with how they trade their time for dollars. That's going to change. And so companies have got to wake up to this and they have to make it clear the companies that can wear the badge of environmental responsibility and other types of social responsibility, 
a democratic responsibility. Those people have got to make their message known. They've got to put up their sign that says, hey, come to work for us. We're trying to change the world. Yes. And they are going to attract the best people in the future. So I don't really think that it's laws that are going to change things. I think that it's employee choices that are going to change things. And I also think that if you want to change the future, you've got to put a buck on it. Mm. And so these young people today, they're starting to put the buck on it. I see how they're spending their money. I work with millennials every day. I hear them talking about stuff like this. It's just amazing how it's becoming more and more the central issue. Yes. And it's funny because I literally just got off a video call with a client of mine who was sharing a story. You hear people say things like what you just said, as far as, well, you know, the millennial generation, you know, they care more about values and they care. And you wonder how much of it is rhetoric if it's not something or just generalities and assumptions, if it's not conversations that you're regularly engaged with every day. And I just got off this call where my client was sharing that her son, who is in the mid to late 20s kind of range, that he had opted not to take a job offer that she really thought was a great opportunity. It was it was a good job. It was good money. It was good whatever else. And she said, why not? And he said, well, it didn't really feel like the company was aligned with my values. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sort of of a different generation look at it and go, yeah, well, that's important too. But how about the values of paying your rent? How about the <laughs> values of, you know, paying your bills and those kinds of things? But no, this was far more important to him that he was willing to take a pass on this because it wasn't aligned with his values. So to your point, Michael, that Who's your demographic? Who's your target? And perhaps telling the story of your company and recognizing what the values are beneath it is far more important than just what the widget is that you're creating. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. Diana, I want to bring it home for us? Yeah. I mean, I come from whereas I think Janet and Michael sort of talk about like sort of from the top down, like the decision makers and key influencers who are telling a story. For me, I'm at the ground level where everything I have to communicate is trying to get the company and its mission to be something that people want to engage with, people want to put dollars into, people want to adopt. So for me, what you're talking about, I mean, I'm lucky because I get to work for a company where, you know, sort of like what Michael said is that, you know, I get to wake up every day and feel good that what I'm doing for my job is also going to be good for people and the planet. And I wanted to create a company where those things were all completely in alignment. So for me, my communications are all going to be about marketing. And so we're moving into the phase where we're going to be doing our next pilots in Panama and Zambia in, you know, low resource communities, getting sanitation to these communities that didn't have dignified sanitation and thereby empowering them. But my social impact marketing or my influencing marketing is really just marketing of my product. And so, and that's what we're going to be doing. I mean, that's where, so we're going to be doing these pilots to then get the validation to be able to launch this product to the market. So the communications are all marketing, but it is really about a mission as well. And I would say the other thing that I do, which is sort of aside from the company, but also very much related is I like to encourage young innovators to sort of have the bravery to do what I kind of felt backed into a corner to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when I look back at why I started this company, didn't feel brave at the moment. It felt like an act of desperation. (laughs) But when I look back, it does take some bravery because you let go of everything. You let go of your self-definition. You let go of like everything that created 
some kind of certainty and definition for you and you start from scratch and you become nobody and you're trying to make something happen so that you can have an impact. And so I try to talk to young innovators. And so that's another sort of channel of communication that I try to put out there. And specifically, I try to talk to women innovators, especially women who are trying to juggle what they're career and their mission is and raising children. Because for me, the founding and growth of this company has also been the journey of me having three children. Mm. And those two things are oftentimes, not surprisingly, very hard to juggle. Sure. But in other ways, I was actually thinking about this yesterday, that like the fact that I am learning to be a parent, I'm also, I think I'm learning to be a good manager. And a lot of what I learn from raising children is also how I keep my employees to feel like they're in a safe space and want to stay with the company. And so I've tried to put out communication around that, that emboldens other, you know, especially female entrepreneurs and innovators to feel like they can go out and do this and that there are other people out there doing this. Yes. And because I felt very alone when I started mm -hmm. and so I had huge amounts of imposter syndrome felt like I must be doing something that there's a reason why nobody else is doing this. Like mm -hmm. I must be crazy for doing this. And once I got beyond a particular threshold where I realized this is fine and, you know, I can do this. I was thinking that if I had known earlier on, if there were more stories of people like me doing this, I think I would have gone forward with more courage and maybe hit sort of like that point where I didn't feel like I was kind of a hack much sooner. So I think that's another way that we can communicate for impact is putting more inclusive stories around how can other people participate? How can other people contribute? What are different ways to do it? We don't all have to work in the shadows. We can find each other and help each other. And so I try to put my story out there so that, you know, if people want to ask me how we can compare notes. I mean, I don't think of myself as an expert, but I definitely think of myself as somebody who wants to be in that circle of mutual support. Yeah. And we started working together, what, six, seven years yeah. ago, something like that. I was so very different person, like zero confidence, you know, just felt like this was a total train wreck, what I was trying to embark upon. And I remember, I mean, I remember I was actually during that moment when I was working with you, I wanted to quit, felt very vulnerable. And I'm like a organically different person now based on everything I've gone through, but it was painful. It's amazing though to have that. And yet we met because we were connected through an organization called the TED Fellows. Yeah. So if anybody out there is familiar with the TED organization, TED Talks and all that, they have this side program where they pluck some of these world-changing entrepreneurs who have these huge technologies of various sorts, like Diana's with Change Water Labs. And they say, we believe in you. We believe you have what it takes. We're going to mentor you. And we're going to give you everything from business mentors to storytelling and communications coaches and whatnot to help you make your mark on the world. And that's where we were originally connected. So all these things coming together, the global leadership, the innovation, the underrepresented communities and the storytelling all comes together. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you understand why I have this panel today, why I brought these three people to you. And I hope that you have had as amazing a time as I have just putting all of this genius together. I hope you walk out of here, get a cup of tea, get a glass of water, go for a walk and just process all the wisdom that has come to you today in celebration of 100 episodes 
of speaking to influence because I want to thank every last one of you. Let's go around real quick and in whatever order again, please tell everyone out there how they can learn more about you and your organization. And I believe, Michael, you've got a free gift for others, a free chapter. So why don't we start with you? Share that free gift, please. Yes. I would like to give everybody a free chapter to our business audio theater so you can listen to it and be a fly on the wall and watch the creation, the humble creation of what is now the world's largest wine brand and see some of the stuff we went through in those early days. It's about a half an hour long and it's the first chapter and I'm happy to give it to you for free. And so it will be in the show notes, but it's also at www.thebarefootspirit, which is the name of the book.com forward slash free book. Now, if you just go to www thebarefootspirit.com, you'll see the free chapter right there. So please enjoy it. It's something new, a different approach. I would love to get your feedback. So please let me know what you think about it. I would just love to get your feedback. And as I say, I work with millennials all the time. Millennials gave us the idea to do it this way because they said this was non-prescriptive. They could be the fly on the wall. They could watch the lessons instead of have them read to them or listen to them. So love to get your feedback. Thanks so much. And how should they give you feedback, Michael? If you go to my website, you'll see that you can contact me directly. There's a lot of ways. Uh, My phone number's on there. You can call me on the phone. So on that website is both how to download the free chapter as well as more information on how to get in touch with you and information about business audio theater overall. That's right. Thank you. Diana, how can we get in touch and learn more? So we have a website for company. It's at www.change-water.com. That's where you can find all our social media handles. You can also sign up for our newsletter. And there is a way to contact us through the website. But if you want the email address directly, it's admin at change-water.com. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. And Janet, last but not least. So you can find us at our foundation's webpage. It's www.fsun, short for Foundation for the Support of the United Nations. So fsun-global.org. And my personal website is janetsalazar.co, where you can learn more about me and my endeavors. And I am on Instagram, very active on Instagram, janetsalazar8833. You can follow me there. And I'm on LinkedIn, of course. So LinkedIn for Janet, any other social media invitations from the Business Audio Theater or Changewater Labs? We have our Instagram, our Facebook, our LinkedIn, and our Twitter linked from the website. So that might be the easiest way to find us. But usually if you're looking, you could probably do an ampersand change water labs and you'll find our Twitter. And I think you'll find everything else. We are on LinkedIn. Got it. And I'm on LinkedIn too. My name on on LinkedIn is Diana Yousef hyphen Marginek. So you'll see me on LinkedIn as well. And if you do reach out to anybody on the show today, don't just do a generic invitation to connect. I don't know about anybody else here, but I get so many generic invitations to connect and I don't know who they are. And if I can't 
within like 10 or 15 seconds, figure out why you want to connect with me other than to sell me something. I just hit ignore, 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 because I don't know why you want to talk to me. It's it's not a, the person who dies with the most connections doesn't win. It, you don't, there's no value in that. I want relationships through my LinkedIn connection. So jot a note, you know, one line just saying, Hey, I heard you on the speaking to influence podcast. Thanks so much for your stories, contribution, inspiration, whatever it was. I'm guessing you'll get higher acceptance rates. Yes. Amen to that. And as Diane said, we are all over social media. You can find me at Michael Houlihan, or you can find me at thebarefootspirit.com. And uh, when you go to the Barefoot Spirit, like Diana, we have all of our social of choice. So you can pick your favorite social and find us there. Uh, We'd really love to hear from you. And thanks for being here today. And congratulations, Laura, on 100. That's amazing. Congratulations, Laura. Yes, congratulations. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. It's the first hundred has been incredible. I'm so excited about what's impending for the second hundred. And I absolutely could not have done it without the three of you and everybody else out here listening. So thank you for being part of this experience today in the past and moving forward. And for anybody out there who's listening, if you have not done so yet, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all of your favorite platforms of choice so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sacola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sacola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.